It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Who wants to talk Padre Dodgers baseball, Lakers, Golden State basketball, and all things NHL hockey? Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our bonus podcast. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host broadcasting from left field with his opinions, (laughs) the Honorable John Riley. We welcome you from our studios in San Diego. John, we're going to play questions and we're going to play answers and Boy, what a weekend we've had, and what a great couple of nights we have just ahead of us. Not just Padre Baseball, but obviously what's going on on the NBA and what's about to happen in hockey. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I, I, although I'm still a little sick to my stomach after last night's Padre game. <laughs> so I'm hoping that tonight the, you know, the, the Warrior-Lakers matchup is going to kind of go in my favor. So a lot of good stuff on the board. Before we get started... You like our podcast. We want you to subscribe to this podcast. We want you to share this podcast with all your friends. Message them and tell them what we're doing. And I want you to go to my website. It is all written. We have over 1,700 subscribers. We want you to sample my website also. It's right there at the top, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You get the best 15 minutes in sports, Hacksaw's headlines, my very spirited one-man's opinion column. You get to participate (laughs) in my Hacksaw's mini polls, too. And, John, tell them how they subscribe. Yeah, so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We're on all the audio-only platforms. Be sure to also subscribe on YouTube and, and all the social media platforms. Look for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and be sure to like, follow, share and subscribe. Share. Give us a thumbs up. And by the way, since we have no pride, if you want to rate what we're doing on our podcast, I'd appreciate five stars. John would be willing to take four (laughs) stars out in left field. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Question one. Okay. yeah. Well, the Padre Dodger game. I mean, gee whiz. So they were right on the cusp of winning that series. And then Mookie hit the home run. Okay. the question I have for you, because we're going to play a little Q and we're going to play a little A question (laughs) answers. Litmus test for the Padres? Was it a statement series or is it just a series in the month of May that doesn't mean a hell of a lot because there's still an awful lot of baseball to be played? And your answer is? Litmus test. And it was a tough call, but they came up short, you know, and they were just so close to winning the series. What makes a great rivalry? Because Padre fan here screeching and yelling, yeah, we got them. We got their number. Look at what we've become. Look at our payroll, etc. Their era is over. The Dodgers in regular season baseball have won 10 series in a row against the Padres, dating back three years. 10 straight series. Composite record. Padres are 6-25 and 25 against the Dodgers. Mm. Now, that's what's on the left hand. <laughs> right hand will tell you, uh, when it really counted last October, what happened in the playoff series? So the Padres <laughs> can feel good about that. So what makes a great rivalry? You do have to beat them consistently, yeah. don't you? Six and twenty-five is not consistent. So explain to me what is a rivalry, Padre fan? Well, you, you got to win, okay. Number one, and then I think you have to have a lot of those dramatic moments, those legendary series, those um, you know dramatic games, um, and. 
yeah, we the Padres have been like the little sister, and they just keep getting knocked around. And geez, there was a, there was an article in the L.A. Times, and one of the guys there was saying that the the Padres are like the baseball equivalent of the of the Chargers. <laughs> you know that they're always coming up short. And and it, you know the guy, the writer for the L.A. Times, admitted that the Padres have a better roster, but still the Dodgers beat them. Okay, so those of you who are watching us on live stream, if you're a Padre fan or a Dodger fan, answer those questions, please. Take part in our fans' forum right at the end. Was it a litmus test? Was it a statement series? Or was it just a bunch of games played in May and still a lot of baseball to be played? And answer the question, what makes a great rivalry? You tell me. Padres are 18 and 17. On their way, go to Minnesota, play the Twins. Then they come back, and they turn around, and they're going to play the Dodgers again. Padres are 12 and 14 against teams with winning records. Same mm. old, same old. We visited this last season, even though they got deep into the playoffs. Uh, the Dodgers are now 21 and 14. So the Padres are not keeping up pace no. with the Dodgers. Hitting just continues to be a massive problem. This team has been shut out five times this season. This team has scored two runs or less, 15 different games of the 35 games they've yeah. played. So there's all kinds of issues there. Where in the Marv Rettman era <laughs> is the Padre batting order? How come there's no help? How come there's no way out of this funk that has gone on for an extended period of time? It's a big issue. Tatis is hitting. El Nino is batting 290. He, is, he looks like he's all the way back. Machado has dragged his average to 252. He doesn't look the same to me at home plate. He doesn't look the same running the bases either. Soto continues to be lost out there, MIA. Uh, it's no longer a small sample size. You know, Soto is hitting in the 220s. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, yeah, he's he's starting to hit a little bit more, but he's only batting 244. Uh, you, you look at Kim, he's only batting 229. The catcher Nolo's batting a buck 51. Can Ouch. you believe that? So there's all kinds of issues. Where in the Merv retinue of the world <laughs> is the Padre batting order go? That's my question. Your answer? The answer is, is that Soto's coming around, and it's just still it's a struggle. It's frustrating. But I don't know what they're going to do in that catcher spot because Nola is like an instant out almost every time he comes up to bat. And when we traded for him to get him from Seattle, he was hitting, what, 280? He was hitting bombs, and he's turned into Austin Hedges. Last group of trades they've made, you do recall Francisco Mejia. Came oh, from yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. That was supposed to be the catcher of the future. I remember. Uh, and the guy they dealt for, Mahia, mm -hmm. Cal Quantrill. Last I checked yesterday, no hitter into the seventh inning ERA sub two zero zero. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Another weird catching statistic. Starting catcher Tampa Bay, Christian Bethencourt, hitting home runs all over the place. Wow. Starting catcher Tampa Bay. Last I checked, Tampa Bay's 28 and 7. Hmm. Another catcher the Padres got rid of. And of right. course, Austin Hedges is now with the Pirates, and he's more defense than he is offense. And I'm not going to say it's a black hole, but not only are they not hitting, they're not throwing anybody out on the bases. Mm -hmm. So. Padre fan, what are you going to do about this situation? We, we can add Yasmani Grandal to that list, too, of all these other catchers that have left us. You know, th this kid, Brett Sullivan, is showing us something, you know, and I like that. But I really think it, it, this is the year for Campusano, that I think he needs to be the guy to save us in that position. And he's dinged. Yeah, he's dinged, but maybe coming back soon. Well, I, I wouldn't know how soon that would be. I mean, the catcher of the future is obviously Evan Salas. 
The kid, oh, yeah. The kid is 16 or turning 17, but he's going to be in the Arizona Summer League, and that's years away. That's not going to happen That kid's legit. Oh, well, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, you were the one that yelled legit a couple times. Mejia is no longer in San Diego. <laughs> no, in no. fact, I don't know where Mejia is right now, and Bethlehem not legit. So, uh, it's just a real tough situation. Uh, off the field, here is Eduardo Perez, color analyst ESPN. Making the crack after Mookie Betts' home run ties the game in the ninth inning. Making a crack directed at El Nino in the Padre dugout. Perez says, that's what a superstar looks like. Why would he do that? How stupid is that? I mean, Tatis is a proven commodity. He's now gone through the suspension, served a sanction. He's hitting again. He's playing a vibrant right field, chasing down a lot of fly balls, running in defense. Why would Perez even do that? How stupid is that? But the whole world's going to hold it against Tatis that, you know, he's a felon because he did PEDs accidentally or intentionally. No, well, Perez withdrew that comment. He said that he was thinking about what to say about Mookie Betts when he hit the home run, and that's the face of a champion or whatever the line was. But at the last minute, the director flipped the camera and and zoomed on Tatis because he had a sad look on his face. And... And Perez later came out and says, you know, I didn't mean it to be directed at Tatis. I'm sorry. I mean, the one announcer that's really gotten in trouble is the guy for the A's, the Oakland A's. I mean, he's been suspended. But this thing with Perez, I think, was mostly, um, you know, it was just like uh, one of those weird things. Okay, so you're going to side side with uh, the apology. What about the Padres putting the Clayton Kershaw mem up on the video board after they knocked him out in the fifth <laughs> inning with tears running down that his face. That was awesome. Yeah, that's uh-huh. great. You know, and it's just that's what makes a rivalry, okay, is that kind of stuff where there's a lot of digging, the fans are fired up, and, you know, the, the, the Dodgers do that same kind of stuff in, in Dodger Stadium as well with some of their, you know, commentary on their big boards. So this is what makes baseball fun. This is what makes sports fun. Uh, Bush League? No, no class? No, no, no. Just having fun. Entertainment. And this is what mm-hmm. it is. It's entertainment. And, it's in, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the, baseball has been such a traditional sport going back, you know, decades and decades. And in many cases, I think that's why a lot of other sports have passed baseball up, you know, because they're, they're more in touch with what's going on in, in current day. So baseball needs to evolve, too. And I think this kind of stuff is fun. The fans love it. Scoreboard, baby. Clayton Kershaw's 23-10 and 10 against the Padres. Mm-hmm. So we're going to mock Clayton Kershaw. 200 wins, headed to the Hall of Fame, 23-10 and 10 against your club. But we're going to mock Clayton Kershaw. Well, Come yeah. on, John. Tatis hit two home runs off him. So, you know, and then he lost. That was the game, that, the only game they won. The Padres won was on Friday night. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, Kershaw, he's a Hall of Famer. He's good. But, you know, if we can get one up on him, then, yeah, we should do that. And, you know, if we can, you know, be a peacock and throw our feathers up, then awesome. Go for it. Well, I like the celebrations with the sombrero, with the sluggers in the dugout. That's cool. It's really interesting. There's a sidebar story. All of a sudden, all these teams in baseball are developing antics after they win a game or if guys hit home runs. I mean, guys with the cameras, guys with the yeah. helmet horns, the guys in a wheelbarrow. It's that's kind of cool, but taunting a Hall of Famer 
Come on now. No, no, it's all right. When you look look at there, there, you see so much of this across the board in a lot of other sports. It's part of the gamesmanship. It's part of the fun. But like to your point, the the dugout celebrations is kind of neat. You know, last year it was a swag chain. You know, the dial and was spinning around. So I, I just love more of this. And you know, there's a camera in the dugout now, and the players all know it's in there. So sometimes you know they're playing to the camera. Sometimes they're just having fun with the boys. And other kind other times you can tell that's why they take their hat off to show their hairstyle, all kinds of things. I t- again, this is, makes the game fun. Okay, those of you on live stream, uh, please fire us a comment. Don't sit here and just watch and enjoy. <laughs> want you to tell us whether you agree or disagree with mocking a future Hall of Famer and the celebrations with the Sombrero Sluggers. Okay, let's go from Padre Baseball. Let's talk about something that's really, really nasty and something that I think is kind of sad. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, you showed me this headline about Artie Moreno and getting into a battle with the media. So what's this all about? The owner of the Angels has had a very tenuous relationship with the working media covering the American League team. There's all kinds of problems that have existed. And now the situation, to me, has just gone way over the line. Let's start with a little bit of history. The Angels were one of the first franchises that got fingered by the Athletic, the national publication, about their treatment of minor league players. Hmm. A year and a half ago, they sent an investigative reporter into the minor leagues to see about the work and living conditions of all the kids. Not not the bonus babies at AAA or the number one picks, but everybody else. And they focused in on a Class 18 that the Angels had. Uh, I think it was in the Midwest League. They found seven minor leaguers living in one apartment because they could not afford, because of the amount of money each mm-hmm. of the major league teams was paying these guys. They had seven guys living in two bedrooms, sleeping on couches and sleeping bags, including a bunch of Caribbean players who come from poverty. And that became a huge story. That was the catalyst, John, for the Major, major League Placeball, Baseball Players Association to take over representation of every guy in the minor leagues. A year mm-hmm. ago this time when we were just starting our podcast, they had the vote and they approved it. Well, Tony Clark representing... Not only the union, but representing the minor league players went and got them huge upgrades. Every level got pay raises in their monthly stipends. Every Mm -hmm. level got a housing fee. Every level got better nutrition. And baseball also folded a whole bunch of minor league teams that had really substandard facilities and really poor attendance. They, They tightened minor league baseball. So the Angels, though, were the poster child of why you treat minor leaguers this way. So that was the first item that became an incendiary thing with Moreno. Lynn Moreno, who was trying to get a land deal at Anaheim Stadium to build a new stadium or build a business enclave around, got caught up in this mess with the Anaheim mayor taking kickbacks, and the mayor was forced to resign. Moreno did nothing wrong, but because he was in the midst of negotiations with the stadium thing, he got dragged into the middle of that. Now you add on the Tyler Skaggs drug trial, which the media covered intently, and we find out Angel PR representative was dealing drugs within that clubhouse. And then, then there were play, there was a clubhouse manager for the visiting clubhouse that was dealing illegal substances to pitchers, doctoring balls. Artie Moreno had no knowledge of this, but it happened under his umbrella, mm-hmm. under his watch. So we've got all that basis of stuff that's gone on. And then we find out through an investigative report this past winter that 
Moreno and the Angels removed their broadcasters, their Spanish broadcasters, from the stadium. Took them out of their booths so they could make it a skybox. Relocated them different parts, then decided we're not going to fund Spanish broadcasts. Orange County has a huge Hispanic yeah. population. Yeah, it does. Why would yeah. you not serve them with baseball? That's weird. Then we found out this spring that Moreno and John Carpino, the president, who's got dirty hands in all this too, have refused to send their radio broadcast teams on the road. Let's save $30 by not sending these guys out to do road games at Fenway Park. Make them do it off a TV set in Anaheim Stadium. Hmm. How chintzy is that? And then on top of that, they banned a reporter that Artie Moreno's radio station broadcast the game, banned a reporter from being on the pregame show, and he was a paid guy because he was asking critical questions. And now the most recent thing, this comes from Carpino, I'm sure, banning working media from talking to any coach on Phil Nevin's staff unless you pre-screen the questions that you're going to ask. Really? So all this junk has gone on dating back four or five years, and the media ought to be at war with these guys. I can't believe the L.A. Times is in writing columns about this. Mm -hmm. How could you treat the media just trying to do its job? If your ass was in first place, we'd be talking a lot of positive stuff. Well, we can't help that... You've been in last place, or you've had bad teams, or you made a lot of mistakes with drug trouble players and gave them guaranteed contracts. For the media to take a hit, and to me, the the strangest thing is Artie Moreno, I think, has been a good owner for the most part, hands-on owner, maybe bad at times. Artie Moreno came from the advertising world. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that to the media covering your team, which is kind of an offshoot yeah. To promote your product, good right. or bad, they're there. So I, I, to me, this is just, God, this is a terrible way to do business. I don't understand the methodology. Your turn. Okay, well, the, <laughs> you're right. I mean, this it seems like sports franchises have a written or unwritten partnership with the media because they actually promote the team. It's, it's quote-unquote free media, right, when sportscasters are talking about their team. So you, it's just, it seems idiotic to upset them and, you know, kind of piss them off. You want them to be talking about you. And a lot of times there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Even if they're talking negatively about you, it's still they're talking about you and they're, talk, they're making you relevant. So that just seems short-sighted. But remember when Artie Moreno bought the team Everyone was excited. You know, he lowered beer prices and, and he signed a lot of big free yep. agents. And I guess maybe he was like a hero. But then you remember he wanted to sell the team last year and he had had it. Um, so maybe a lot of this BS is part of the reason he doesn't like being an owner. I think it's a horrible way to do business. I, send it, I think it sends a terrible message to your communities based on what you've already done to the Hispanic community in that marketplace. Yeah, that's dumb. Could you imagine the Dodgers? Telling KWKW's broadcasters, <laughs> Jaime Harina and those guys, mm -hmm. you can't sit in the press box anymore. Go out there and right field and broadcast. Or we're not sending you on the road. Do it off a TV monitor. Well, never in modern day sports. And there has always been a clash between working media and franchises. I've never seen anything like this at all. And 
I don't understand the methodology, and I'm surprised the media has not revolted even more. And the Baseball Writers Association carries a lot of clout, and they've really, really been silent. So if you're an Angel fan, join us on Fans Forum. Just give us a response. If you follow the Angels, your thoughts on this chunk of controversy involving the owner. And I've liked that owner for a long time, and I'm one of the few media guys that's spoken up on behalf of the owner because I've also said he's made some mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Hi, right, John, before we bounce basketballs and shoot three-point shots, <laughs> let's talk for just a second about subscribing to our podcast and the different things that we're doing. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I went to tell you this, is that uh, earlier this afternoon I updated our media kit. You know, there are over 200,000 Hacksaw fans that exist. When we count up all the subscribers, all the views across all the social media. So it's terrific. So if you want to get involved, you want to be kind of part of the crew, you want to, you know, support the podcast, that's what you can do. You can subscribe. You can like, follow, share, and subscribe. You can go to any of the uh, audio-only podcast platforms or subscribe on YouTube. And a reminder, check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It is all written. It changes every day. If you check it the first thing every morning, you'll have all the sports stories in the world. And a reminder, thumbs up. And if you're going to rate us, I'm willing. I'll take a five-star. John will take a four-star out in left field. <laughs> hey, let's talk NBA basketball. Yeah, this series has been unbelievable. I mean, the Warriors are big, then the Lakers are winning big, and the Warriors, they just laid an egg in game three. I tell you, it's been a wild series. How good has it been? I'm, I'm just not talking about play on the floor and the intensity and all that. 7.4 million viewers for the first Laker-Golden State game. Obviously, the anticipation mm-hmm. of King James and A.D. versus the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green's antics and all that. <laughs> it is the highest rated individual game ever in the Western Conference playoffs in the history of NBA games on television. 7.4 mil. And then, obviously, you got you got the wild outcomes. Uh, we had game two where Golden State outscored them 84-47 in the second half. Holy cow. (laughs) And then we had Game 3, where the Lakers came back and scored 82 points combined in the second and third quarters Mm -hmm. and blew Golden State back out into the parking lot. It's been a series of adjustments. You know, AD is going to dominate Anthony Davis. Well, what are you going to do the second game to defend Anthony Davis? Either put Draymond Green on him or somebody else. What are you going to do to control LeBron? It's all about adjustments. And then the flip side is what are the Lakers doing trying to stop Curry and Clay Thompson from going crazy? And then what does Steve Kerr do in terms of where do you play Draymond Green? Can you keep Draymond Green uh, under control? Uh, do you have the good game with the Kevon Looney or the bad game with Kevon Looney? You know, the other night... Draymond Green in the first half, zero points, one rebound. Wow. Looney, zero points, one rebound. And the Lakers blew their doors off. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a great, great series. I'd like to see this sucker go seven. This Monday night game is going to have a lot of the same antics to it. This is just dynamic basketball. And you close your eyes and you see Anthony Davis crashing the boards and Anthony Davis making baskets. And you close your eyes and you see LeBron unbelievably running the length of the court to block shots at the other glass. Or LeBron putting it on the floor, driving to the hoop, through traffic, making an unbelievable shot, and then running into the fans and up the stairwell into the stands. It's just been a super series. And the bench bunch... D'Angelo Russell's playing for his next contract, and he's hitting a pile of threes. And Austin Reeves has disappeared offensively because he's spending all of his energy at the other end of the floor, putting his nose to the grindstone against Steph Corey in terms of banging bodies. 
great series. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And these guys are all Hall of Famers for sure. And, you know, you see LeBron, he's 38. I mean, I, I saw someone mention this on, on, on uh, social media. There was what's more amazing that Shohei Otani can do what he does on both sides, offense and defense, or what LeBron is doing at the age of 38. And, and for the life of me, I don't understand the LeBron haters that always come down on him. I mean, this dude is amazing, um, especially at his age. But I, I see these players. I figure, you know, LeBron's Hall of Famer. AD likely going to be there. For Curry for sure. Uh, Clay Thompson probably. I mean, this is a big time series. Um, the other angle is I want to ask you this, Hacksaw. You know, LeBron, I think most people would argue, is one of the top five, right, of all time. I mean, where do you put Curry on that list? I would say he's probably on the periphery of the top five. I mean, he's a phenomenal offensive player, uh, and he's a real team concept guy. But, you know, I, I don't get caught up in the argument, who's the greatest five? Cause, <laughs> so you're telling me that, that Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan might fall off the list because they're taking some modern-day hero. They're all great players from different eras, so I, I don't worry where you rank Larry Bird with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, etc. Mm-hmm. So, fascinating series, and now we'll just wait and see. It's like a game of chess. There's going to be mo- more moves on the board uh, heading towards Game Four of this playoff series. What a great rivalry! And I don't know if there's anything else that can top it. I mean, with some of the best teams already gotten blown out of the playoffs, mm-hmm. is it is it right to think Lakers? could be in the NBA Finals, a team that struggled to even get into the play-in series? Yeah. Are we talking about this team having the potential to go to the NBA Finals? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, because they have all those great players. And, you know, the, the, most of the regular season, it, it was a struggle. I mean, they couldn't get the right chemistry. But after that trade deadline, they figured it out. Now, now here, this is an interesting topic. We talk about whether the Padres-Dodgers is a rivalry. Is the Warriors-Lakers a rivalry? I mean, these are two big-time winning franchises in rivalry cities, San Francisco and L.A., but they haven't met that often in the playoffs. But there has been great success. All the retired banners at the Crypto.com Center for the Lakers championships and the modern-day number of rings that Golden State's got. Yeah, right. it's it's pretty good rivalry. So now that you've got this series with all the drama, I think this is going to build into another Red Sox-Yankees kind of a rivalry, and I think that's good for the sport. On we go. Let's talk about the other sports in the middle of the playoffs because, boy, there's some fireworks here. We're talking NHL hockey. Yeah, I mean, the, the playoffs are going on. I know the Ducks are trying to figure out their head coach. I mean, what's the latest, Axel? Well, we got coaching firings, and, and the bloodshed has not stopped. Uh, this past week was really stunning. Gerard Gallant got taken out as the New York Rangers coach despite going 94-47-15 and 15 in two years. Wow. He was just fired by the New York Rangers. He's had success every place he's been, three different jobs, but he's also been fired because of postseason failures. But the Rangers hit the eject button on him after New York got knocked out of the playoffs. And I thought New York, like Boston, might be in the Stanley Cup Finals. So Gallant is available. And Daryl Sutter, who's won Stanley Cups, Blackhawks, Kings, won over 200 games, Calgary Flames, out. He got fired by Calgary. That came weeks after they fired the general manager, Brad Treliving. Now, Calgary, a year ago in the summer, got rid of their 100-point scores. We had this discussion in the past about mm-hmm. Johnny Hockey, mm-hmm. Johnny Gaudreau being traded, and Matt Kachuk being moved, uh, and Calgary just cleaned house. 
So there's some huge names. The third name that's out there is a guy that's had great success in St. Louis and Chicago, sat out this year, Joel Kenville. So I don't know if the Ducks would be willing to go towards these guys who are veteran taskmasters with with all the young players or whether they want a young guy who can communicate uh, with with Ducks players. That'll be very interesting to see. But, boy, the, the fatality rate of name coaches who've got good track records being unemployed something strange. Yeah, they're, they're not necessarily retreads, right? You know, these are like legit guys. It's like when the Chargers fired Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, <laughs> what are you thinking? I mean, if you've got someone that's been successful that wins two out of three games, like you said, the, the coach of the Rangers, that's just stupid to let someone like that go. But, you know, that might be an opportunity for Anaheim. Okay, on we go. One other hockey story. We're just hours away from this happening on a Monday night. Yeah, so it's the it's the draft, right? So do they do like a lottery in the NHL? What's that, it like? That's what we're talking about, 5 right. o'clock on Monday night. It's the NHL draft lottery. They take the 11 top teams who had the worst records in the league, and they go into the lottery, led by the Ducks, who had the worst record in the league because they finished with a 13-game losing streak and fired their coach. Blackhawks, who are in the midst of a massive rebuild. Columbus Blue Jackets, who fell apart because of injuries. San Jose, who got old, got rid of all of its veteran players. Montreal has had injuries after injuries after having been in the Stanley Cup Finals just two years ago. Those are the top five teams that have the chance for the number one pick in the lottery. And it's slotted. The Ducks have the biggest percentage chance of getting the number one pick. Chicago would be second. Columbus would be third right on down the line to the non-playoff teams. The number one pick in the draft is a young forward from Regina in the Western Hockey League. His name is Connor Bedard. 71 goals, 72 assists, 143 points in 57 games. This kid is crafty. This kid is fast. This kid's got a wide variety of shots. They think he's a generational player. Uh, the second second pick is probably going to be uh, a young center iceman at the University of Michigan. Uh, I want to make sure I get his name correct. Uh, it is Adam, I want to say Fintelli, scored 31 goals in 30 games as a freshman at the University of Michigan. He is wow. going to be the second pick. Uh, the third pick is an 18-year-old center iceman, t- plays for Team USA internationally. His name is Will Smith. The fourth pick is a forward from Sweden uh, who scores a lot of goals. The fifth pick is a Russian forward. So the Ducks are going to wind up with one of those picks. But if they could get Connor Bedard on top of what they got with, a couple of years ago with Trevor Zegers mm-hmm. and Jamie Drysdale and the other collection of young defensemen they've got that are about to come maybe to the San Diego Gulls or turn pro and maybe try to make an NHL team at 19, I think we're going to wake up one one day soon. And the goals are going to be pretty good because they've stockpiled because of all the losing. They've stockpiled all these draft picks. And on, on top of that, Pat Verbeek, the general manager of the Ducks, he's got like $30 million in salary cap space oh, nice. to, to go get veterans mm-hmm. to complement the kids. Because last year they played all the kids, force-fed them, the kids struggled, the kids lost, 13-game losing streak at the end of the season because the kids ran out of gas and some of them got hurt. So I my gut feel is we're going to wake up one morning and the Ducks are going to be pretty good because they've been building, keeping all these assets, etc. So we'll see what happens in the draft. Everybody is raging about Connor Bedard, and I've seen video of him. Holy cow, is this kid slick. He is really good, and he's really fast. He's got a wide variety of shots. Is he young? Sure. He's gonna. He's 18. Is he coming to San Diego to play for the Gulls? No, not yet because of the rules. Maybe he goes back to junior, or maybe... 
at age 19, he makes the Ducks as a raw rookie. He's like Trevor Zegers or like the young defenseman, mm-hmm. Jamie Drysdale. And last year, they force-fed Mason McIntosh. I didn't think he was ready, and he turned out uh, – uh, he played – I'm sorry, Mason McBain. He played really, really well. So I, I'm fascinated to see what the draft lottery on Monday night brings us. So do you think this Bedard kid is like a generational talent? You know, it's just like a LeBron for the NBA. Is this guy that can really change the game? Well, that's what they they say. He's not as big as Connor McDavid, the icon of the Edmonton Oilers, who's mm-hmm. had unbelievable seasons. He's but he's fast and he's crafty. He's not six foot three. He's I think five foot ten. But tell you know, I mean, he's outplayed everybody in the Canadian Junior Leagues. He scores seventy one goals in fifty seven games. Wow! And you set up seventy two goals with assists. That's mm-hmm. one hundred forty three points in fifty seven games. Monster numbers. Yeah, unbelievable. So how are they going to do the lottery? I mean, are you going to get a frozen envelope in the bin when they mix it around like they did for the NBA draft? Well, they'll they'll do it behind closed doors, and then they go out, and and they have the placards. Okay. And this team gets the 11th pick. It's the Ottawa Senators. And this team gets the 10th pick. It's the Detroit Red Wings. Okay. And they count it down, and then they, they get down to the final two, and they say, pick number two is... Chicago Blackhawks. So they're only going to like set up the order then. They're not actually going to do the draft. No, they won't show you the ping pong balls, if you will. I think that's all done behind. Okay. So it's it's interesting. It's it's not as crazy as the NBA lottery, but it's, for those of us who like hockey, pretty good. Yeah. Go Ducks. Hope it's a good night for you. I hope so, too. I mean, geez, they had a rotten season. Need to have them come back. Okay. Time for Fans Forum. You got question. We got answers. Uh, you got opinions. We want to know what they are. We're going to try to run through as many as we can. John, go ahead. Okay. Pick one of your followers. All right. Let's kind of pick some of these folks at random. This is Justin C. He says, Padres, who started it with the swag chain, had to get rid of it last year to focus on actually making the postseason. <laughs> Maybe we should do the same this year with a sombrero. Just saying. Yeah, I, I, the guys are having fun. They really like each other. And as long as they're winning, I mean, they're not going to do it if they're in the middle of an eight-game losing streak. You know, the swag chain kind of disappeared for a little bit last season. But I like I like this sombrero for sluggers. I just think that's cool. And that's got a regionality impact, too, because it involves San Diego. It involves our friends across the border in Mexico. And, you know, you combine all that with the— um, Rainbow Sherbert uh, City Current uniforms that they wear on yeah. Friday nights. That's pretty cool. And I, I didn't like those uniforms when they started. They kind of look like softball jerseys to me. That's kind of mm-hmm. kind of grabbed me. I, I kind of like one of those. I, no, I like the City Connect outfits. I mean, they they at first it was shocker, right? You know, but the more you learn about it, the, you understand the sort of that cross cultural, you know, bi national kind of a strategy. It makes sense, and it fits. Uh, so I think it's real special. You're a liar. You uh, like no, Rainbow Sherbert more no, than anybody else. No, but so. it's, it is a goofy look. I agree <laughs> with you. But you, when you kind of get it, and then you see the fans love the the City Connect. And, you know, especially like it, the, the women love a lot of it because there's a lot of really nice, you know, types of apparel they've made for the ladies. So it's it's great. I think it's a terrific uh, setup. But, but the Milwaukee Brewers do look like softball jerseys. Yeah. All, all blue. Yeah, them and then the old White Sox when they wore the shirt. 
shorts, you yep. know, back in the 70s. So, yeah, some of the – but, you know, the, the, the Brewers have, I think, the best logo in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. I think on, that's a good one. On we go. Sombrero slugger stays. So say the co-hosts. Well, I'll just throw this back one in here for Justin C's. As honestly, sick to my stomach with all these dugout celebrations. But let's get someone else involved here. SG Sports Talk Channel, he says – San Jose Sharks are going to get the number one pick in this draft. That's what he's got on record. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. What are you going to say after the Ducks get the number one pick? We'll see. Uh, San Jose had a good run with an awful lot of really good, great veteran players. And those guys have now retired along the way, and they're in the midst of their rebuild, too. Okay, and then uh, let's let's uh, move on. I want to get in some of these YouTube commenters because there's some really good ones. I mean, the social media responses over the weekend, Lee, were oh. just they were just unbelievable, especially to a lot of those video shorts that that we were doing. So um, here's a comment from B Nasty talking about the Aztecs and the NIL, and says NCAA should have dealt with this 20 years ago. Then the athlete was at the mercy of the system while everyone else got paid for their performance, but them. Now it ain't no fun because they can cut and run. Free enterprise is good for everyone. This is the parting gift from Mark Emmert, the director of the NCAA. And I have not met a person in college athletics, and I talk to people in the Pac-12, plus obviously the people here at San Diego State. I've not met anybody to think this has been handled correctly. Not that the players don't deserve additional compensation, cost of living stipend, or fees. But not everybody can afford the kind of money that's being spent in a few other places. If Texas A&M and Alabama and Georgia are paying players phenomenal amounts of NIL money because they're big cigar boosters can do it. I mean, how does that protect the health of the Aztecs, Wyoming, money-troubled San Jose State, mm-hmm. um, the 1AA schools at Montana, Montana State, etc.? It's impossible to keep players because now what's creeping in is everybody's tampering with other guys' players. They're cherry-picking players. You know, San Diego State lost a very good offensive tackle, Josh Simmons, young guy, and they played him as a freshman, and he started every minute as a sophomore. And he learned, and he had great NFL size, and they were going to teach him. And Ohio State shows up all of a sudden, and now he's a, now he's a Buckeye. Wow. That's happening all over the country that big-time schools— or looking to the mid-major conferences, the Mid-American Conference, the Mountain West Conference, Conference USA. I like that player. We'll make a contact. Mm -hmm. He goes in the transfer portal. Next thing you know, top lineman from Appalachian State has gone to Georgia. Yeah. So I don't think that's good. I don't think it's good for the sport because this is a terrible thing to say. It's like some of these kids have become soldiers of fortune. Well, you know, they're getting an opportunity to make some money, and I, I can't shame them for that. You know, just like, uh, you know, like a play-by-play broadcaster that's working, you know, in, in a smaller section of the country gets a chance to come to San Diego, you know. So it's a good thing. But yeah, I, I read an article that was from a professor at Washington State, and they're struggling with this whole NIL concept, you know, mainly because the academic people don't like all this money going on with the athletics. And one of the professors said that she would feel uncomfortable if she was, you know, teaching a student who was making $800,000 a year, you know, just, you know, blowing her out of the water in terms of, of compensation. So it just, it has a lot of angles to these stories. Overall, I'm happy for the players. Well, the big issue is Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, walked away from all this. 
He walked away by saying, we're not going to try to control NIL. Well, now you've got the big boosters at College Station, Texas, writing huge checks because they're oil magnets and they can afford it. And they'll go cherry pick anybody they want and put them in an Aggie's uniform. And it's a big problem for the lesser lights like Washington State, like Mm -hmm. Oregon State, that I don't think have big NIL checking accounts to be able to retain their players. I think it's a monstrous problem. Now you got the transfer portal. There's 2,060 basketball players in the transfer portal, and they're all walking around hands out. I just don't think it's good for the sport. Well, think about all the money that is around San Jose State. You talk about them as kind of downtrodden with money, and they're right in Silicon Valley. But that doesn't mean anything if you haven't won and your alumni Mm -hmm. are not supporting you. You can be in the Silicon Valley, but it doesn't mean anything if their football's been down forever, basketball's been deplorable, and it's a tough call, tough call. Okay, next question. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, and this is, oh, my God, the, the, the comments about Coach Prime were just blowing up Instagram. This is from CavDB22. He said, he put everyone on notice day one. Perhaps the kids that left did not have the talent he was looking for. I don't see you crying about players at Alabama who hit the portal. Not many did. And a lot of quality players uh, at a lot of quality programs. But to hit the eject button, the number, by the way, is now 72. Really? 72 in the transfer portal at Colorado. Holy moly. That's Port- almost the whole team. <laughs> yeah. Portal closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, You know, he, it's as if he painted a picture that everybody who wore gold and black and played at Folsom Field last year was a bum. And I don't think that's that's probably very truthful, and I don't think that's fair. Um, uh, is it? It's the way of life now because of the transfer portal and because of the NIL. And I'll throw an addendum thing that I was told via email from one of my network people that I'm with in the Pac-12. There's a lot of really upset coaches about what Deion Sanders did. And I'll tell you, they're going to have to play these teams in the Pac-12 next year in the conference. And there may be some teams that will run up scores on Coach Prime time because of what he did to 72 athletes at CU. These kids came to play, came to get an education, and they were all told, you're leaving, I'm bringing my own, quote, baggage. Mm -hmm. So, And baggage might be the key term here. I think there are a lot more people than have let on that are really upset uh, and there was an unnamed, I want to say, athletic director in the Southeastern Conference that was looking at the storyline in Colorado and made the comment, this was not what the transfer portal was supposed to be about. Just running everybody off. So mm-hmm. uh, I I tend to think it's a bit unethical. You disagree with me, but I saw you rip the page uh, <laughs> out of your dictionary that had the word unethical. Well, they, were, they won one game. I mean, so do you think these Pac-12 coaches, these SEC coaches, are going to pick up any of those 72 players that Dion put into the transfer portal? There's no way. I mean, they just don't have the talent. It's It's not... You know, it's just the reality of what a competitive sport is all about. So, you know, you get into these these games, these teams are going to run up the score anyways, you know, to try to kind of get their rate, their rankings up higher. I'm rooting for Dion. I, I love everything about him, you know, and he is brash. He's bold. And I like that. You know, I told you earlier, I like the entertainment angle to sports. And I think this is exciting. So, you know, unethical 
No, he fulfilled the contract. There's a one-year deal on a scholarship. It's not a four-year commitment. Oh, this is the guy that liked the swag chain lecturing me on what's right, what's wrong in yeah. athletics. Okay, well, let's take a couple <laughs> more questions here. Go ahead, John. All right, okay, let's get another comment here. This is also from social media on Instagram from uh, John Rizemba Photography. And he says, and he's talking about the Raiders. It's not just Gruden. Al Davis went into a Howard Hughes mode for a long time. He spent most of those years looking to abandon a fan base that displayed loyalty that he didn't deserve. Now, they're nothing more than a marketing gimmick. Uh, Al Davis, early era Al Davis, was all about football. X's, O's, player acquisitions, reaching for guys, whether they were good people, bad citizens, whatever, who could play the game. Well, the NFL changed. It became big business, big business off the field. Al Davis was behind the power curve, rotten stadium situation, never, never could really market. And at the same time, everybody realized there are lots of places to go find players, and everybody started to scout Mm-hmm. The historically black university and colleges and finding talent and everybody started to scout the Colgate universities of the world where my friend Mark Egan, Van Egan played. Oh, yeah. Finding guys at those places. Mm-hmm. Al Davis no longer had a corner on that marketing, didn't have a corner on the business aspect of football. So the game really passed him by. And then he just made mistake after mistake after mistake as it relates to coaches, as it relates to draft picks, his hands-on interference with everything. And then he died and his son was given the franchises. And Mark Davis <laughs> has always been attracted by the shiny little object out there. Here comes John Gruden. You go back and look, because I talked about this. 11 of the last 15 first-round picks of the Raiders have washed out. That's a pretty horrific record. And a ton of them were really bad people. Yeah. I mean, this Henry Rugg drunk driving manslaughter story, Damon Arnett with the guns and the threats on social media. These are guys you're supposed to scope out and assess good players. Are they good citizens? What kind of people are they? And the Raiders failed miserably at that. And you can't screw up, John, that many number one picks without waking up one morning with a bad franchise. And that's a, that's where the Raiders are right now. Well, remember, the Raiders used to intentionally go for those players that were bad citizens, mm-hmm. you know, because it added to their tough guy image and and uh, they thought they were all badass and everything. But I just think this comment from the Instagram follower is interesting because he did. Ha- Al Davis was a little like Howard Hughes. I mean, he was like yeah. this eccentric guy. You didn't see him very much during the latter part of his ownership. Um, but, you know, in every case, it always comes down to. The, the top dog. It's the leadership of the organization of the franchise. And if you've got a bad owner, your team is not going to do well. And we see that with the Raiders. We've been seeing that with the Chargers. We see it with a lot of other teams. Yeah, the Raiders are not what they used to be. And I'm sorry, John is not allowed to run to his back closet and find that dented old dusty <laughs> Super Bowl trophy and run around the room with it and say, look what we won. That was a different era, different times. Art Floors. <laughs> look, look at what you have not run uh, recently. Let's take one more here before we wrap up our bonus coverage. All right. We, this is the other comment that was blowing up over the weekend about Trevor Bauer signing in Japan. And this is from Nahoko Lemius. And she says, wow, so it's unethical to dismiss players who do not perform to the level that's expected and make the team better. But it's ethical to dismiss a coach 
who fails to do his job and make the team better. Sounds like a double standard. It's the nature of the beast. Is this the first time football players have been cut from a team? You know, co- oh, this is a Coach Prime comment. We got it backwards there a bit. But let me just go back to, I, I screwed up this slide. Go ahead. Okay, but when it, let's talk about Trevor Bauer because a lot of people um, were, especially there were some Japanese folks that responded on the YouTube channel saying, we love him. He didn't break the law. And as long as he doesn't break the law, then it's fine. We, we should have him, you know, and, and I think I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if there is a double standard for Trevor Bauer that it doesn't necessarily apply to others. I mean, what do you think? Well, the fact of the matter that he never got charged, but he was involved in obviously some really ugly sexual misconduct activity as it relates to forced sex, sexual abuse, etc. Where do you draw the line? That, I guess that becomes a big issue. Now, this, this case is still on the docket. This lawsuit by this woman is going to go forward, and she's going to ask for some type of damages. But where you draw the line, I and mean, Trevor Bauer's a really rock-solid pitcher. He's a smart dude, but he's a little bit arrogant. And where do you draw the line between being a good person or just doing what the hell you want and hope you don't get arrested? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what about Matt Ariza? Is that a double standard? Because we were saying Matt Ariza did not get in trouble with the law, and he deserves a shot to play in the NFL. I mean, we both agreed to that. Um, so why does that apply to Trevor Bauer? So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to maybe second-guess my own opinion originally because I think we were all shocked by Trevor Bauer and all the allegations. But part of the problem is, is that Trevor Bauer has a history of just being a jerk-off, you know, so of always doing stupid things. So it was easy to pile on. But maybe, maybe if, if this woman's story is fabricated, you know, maybe was he treated unfairly? I don't know. It's, it's an open question. Only time will tell, I think, once we, we follow this thing, once it winds up actually in court, in front of a judge, in front of a jury, uh, et cetera. Uh, very, very complicated thing. But you have to have, I'm sorry, John, you have to have standards. And if you cross that line with standards, mm-hmm. sexual misconduct to the degree that Trevor Bauer was involved, to me, he's kind of crossing the line. Mm-hmm. Matt Ariza, stupid young college decision. I did stupid things. You did stupid things. Mm-hmm. We probably didn't do those, those type of stupid things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably a penalty that has to be paid there. I'm still hopeful Ariza will get a kick at the can to kick the football for somebody in an NFL training camp going forward. That case, that lawsuit is, is scheduled to show up on the court dockets, I believe, in October. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our bonus coverage. Whether you agree with me, you should, or agree with him out in left field, <laughs> that's okay, too. We invite you to tell all your friends about what we're doing regular Thursday podcast, bonus podcasts on Monday. Alert them to subscribe. Don't be afraid to give us thumbs up. We have no pride. We'll take a five-star rating uh, if you feel like doing that on Apple. And, John, look forward to yapping at you on Thursday, and let's just see what happens with the NBA playoff game, Mm -hmm. the Padres road trip, and the NHL draft lottery. I want to see the Warriors even up the series tonight and make a 2-2. Push this sucker to Game Mm 7. That'd be fun to watch. Hey, thanks for being with us. Our bonus coverage on a Monday. And check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.